welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, have I got a great show for you today. I am so excited. Um, if you just buy one book this year, and hopefully you're buying many more, but if you just buy one book, other than mine, of course, my, uh, my terrorism book for kids, um, this is a totally different kind of book. This is a book that, uh, that my guest is the author of that is, um, it, it actually is healing just by reading it. Um, in, well, <laughs> I, can't, I don't want to keep comparing. I mean, it's totally different. This is, this is a book called Birds of a Feather, uh, the tr- A True Story of Hope and the Healing Power of Animals. And it's by Dr. Lauren Lindner, and she's a psychologist in Los Angeles. And, um, well, in the general, in California, shall we say, in the, in the general Los Angeles area. Um, and I have known Lauren for years, uh, and I, it has been such, such a wonderful journey to see her grow. Because you know how when people, you know, people, a lot of people have good intentions, and they want to help the world, and, um, you know, their heart is in the right place, but somehow or other, they don't do uh, the hard work to make these dreams, make these, all these good things that they want to have happen for people uh, happen. Because, you know, because there are all kinds of obstacles along the way. And um, I have never seen someone work as tirelessly to bring about um, what she is about. And she is, what's important to note here, before we get into the book and what she does and all that, she is the pioneer um, of, of uh, animal person therapy, particularly in, in regard to veterans. You know, you may have heard some organizations now that do this kind of thing. Well, she was the first, and I can, I can prove it. <laughs> I was there. And Lauren, well, I'll let, you tell, I'll let her tell you what she exactly does. But this book, um, Birds of a Feather, A True Story of Hope and Healing Power of Animals, is indeed a true story. And, um, and as a psychologist and as an animal lover, particularly originally a bird lover, um, she was the person who put her love of birds and animals together with her compassion for people, uh, hurt, wounded people, wounded, wounded birds and wounded or abandoned birds and wounded people, and uh, notably army or military vets. And um, I will let Dr. Lindner tell you, tell you her story, but just so you know, just a little backup that, um, or background, uh, this really... She has, she, she has dedicated herself for countless years doing this. And what's interesting about this book is that it is a combination of stories. It's the story of Lauren's life, basically, um, how she got from a little girl <laughs> to uh, someone who would be doing these kinds of things to her um, connection with parrots and to her then working at the VA and... and um, being involved with helping vets, particularly to help them um, heal from PTSD, and then how she put the t- all these things together to make an amazing program, amazing, p- the, the countless numbers of people, uh, vets have been healed by this, and countless number of birds, <laughs> as well as, as other animals that we'll talk about, too. So, Dr. Lindner, this is very exciting. This book just came out um, and so this is one of the first interviews that uh, Lauren is doing. And uh, so you're getting to hear about this early on in this process. So tell us about, where do, where do you want to start? I mean, I always start with my guests um, <laughs> in their childhood, of course, right? A psychiatrist or a psychologist <laughs> always start in childhood. So, and because, because I'm always interested, and I'm sure my listeners are interested, in hearing how, especially when they hear your whole story, hearing how you got 
from where you began to where you are. And I do believe that the early childhood experiences are key, key players in, in our adult lives. And uh, we can't, we can't um, neglect noticing them. Right. I think that also um, it's very plain, and I mention it in the book, how my early life really influenced where, what direction I chose. And I think having a sick mother was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's a, that's a very good prompt. And so I had a mother who was not really available and was not around much. And my sister, who was much older, um, really taught me how to love animals. She just, I mean, I don't think children really need to be taught how to love animals. I think it's an innate, instinctive thing because we, we grew up together evolutionarily. Uh, we really co-evolved with, with various animals and observing animals in the wild. But I uh, had a sister who showed me that if I stepped on an ant, I was damaging an entire family, a whole community of, of um, creatures who were going to grieve the loss of that ant. And I really, from you know, three years old on, realized that every, every sentient being has value and meaning, and uh, you don't take life recklessly, even if it's just an ant. Uh, so my sister taught me to love, and she always loved birds. And... We always had birds. I remember growing up having birds all, all of my life, and they are just a part of my, my landscape. I, 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 um, I couldn't imagine really being without them. And I think that really set the stage for all of this. Uh-huh. And, um, well, uh, but when you were, okay, but after when you grew up, um, I, I mean, and also, well, I, I guess then I didn't really think of this necessarily before, but, um, you know, talking about how animals heal, help heal veterans or people in general, actually, who are hurting, um, that must have been very healing for you to be able to direct your attention to and get comfort from the birds that you had when you were growing up because of your mother. Uh-huh, yeah, I think you just nailed that. <laughs> that that's what it was, that when my excuse me when my sister got married she was almost 14 years older than me she moved out and and i immediately asked for a bird of my own and i think that was my transitional object that the, uh-huh. the thing that carried me through that loss of my sister who had been like a mother to me uh-huh. and my mother who had been in and out of hospitals and doctors telling me you know it's not going to be long now and um, and sure enough, they predicted um, that she would be, you know, dead. I don't know how they knew this, or if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because they also told it to my mother, and they said, mm. you, know, "You have five years." And sure enough, she lived exactly five years from that yeah. prediction. And I was still a teenager, and so I, I had I had this bird, and and I mention this in the book how I think a lot of my my motivation to do something good for birds was because I, I didn't feel like I, I really gave a good life to this little bird that I insisted we get from Alexander's in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> and I mentioned I the remember book. Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> right. They, had, they sold, you know, everything from furniture and clothing to pets. And <laughs> I really think that I mentioned this in the book that I thought that the Real, the the retail clerk knew more about you know polyester blends than he knew about <laughs> this little bird and what she needed and of course at that time in my life and in everyone's life really that you know was going to pet stores and buying animals you just listen to what the clerk tells you and yeah. oh this is all she needed just a little bowl of seed and bowl of water and she pretty much takes care of herself but that wasn't the case she was a living breathing social being and intelligent um, despite the small brain and, and all, all research now is pointing to certain areas in the in the um, avian brain as well as the mammalian brain that shows um, a, a number of neurons, a, a concentrated number of neurons, and that's really where the seat of intelligence lies. And it doesn't matter how big your brain is. So mm. being called a bird brain, bird brain is actually <laughs> a, a compliment. <laughs> but yes, I, I had this little bird, and it and it it taught me. Um, 
know, a little bit of compassion and forgiveness for myself and for my mother who, yeah, children don't understand when parents are gone even because they're sick and you get angry and resentful and you feel abandoned and um, the birds really helped me to, 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 to fill those gaps. Uh-huh. So, okay, then what was your next encounter with birds? So then I went away to college, and my high school friend got her, got her first bird. And, you know, she and I on weekends would go to the pet store and hold the big birds, the macaws and the cockatoos and ones that we couldn't afford and, you know, that, that, that were also pretty kind of dangerous with those big beaks. Mm-hmm. And, and she ended up actually getting a bird. And then I saw what it took, what, the amount of work it really took when you're an adult and someone else is not helping you feed and clean bird cages. But as an adult, she realized that this bird was a handful and that it needed a flock, just like people need a, a village. It really mm-hmm. needed its flock to care for it. And, I, and when I saw when, what happened when she ended up getting married and having a child, that the bird got relegated to a cage in a back room mm-hmm. and cried his little heart out um, after, be, after she was his, his whole family. He was, she yeah. was everything to him. So... I said, I will never get a bird again until I can give, the, give him or her the proper life. And that took almost 20 years, <laughs> uh-huh. 20 years before I found the right situation. And that situation called to me one night on Christmas Eve when I was studying for my psychology licensing exam. And a friend of mine who does animal rescue said, can you come help us rescue this parrot that's was literally left in a home in Beverly Hills that was in escrow because the owners thought that she matched the living room decor and that she would be a good asset when they sold the house. <laughs> and I, you know, they said, please come get her. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll come out and, and get this bird and I'll find her a good home. And 27 years later, <laughs> she, she was the major influence uh, on me for how to properly care for birds and how to start a sanctuary that was going to heal not just parrots in need, but veterans as well. Well, you know, um, that's interesting because, I mean, I had parakeets growing up, and, I mean, yeah, we did used to play with them and teach them to talk and all of that, and I, I guess we paid a lot of attention to them, but you know, I think most people don't really think about that they need more than um, water and food and just kind of, you know, maybe going <laughs> near their cage or, you know, <laughs> kissing them near the cage. Um, so, but, but you're saying, you know, that they need all of this socialization and a lot more. They, they don't like to just sit there and be, and be decoration. That's exactly right. That's, that's what I ended up realizing by having this, this emaciated, plucked, feather-shredded, cockatoo in my home who uh, I had just rescued and now I'm, I'm like, what do I do with this bird? This is a real big bird. I mean, she's like a football player. She's a broad chest and, and, and she was extremely loud and I thought, my goodness, I have to learn how to properly care for her. And I started, you know, researching because that's what I do and I learned, you know, just the basics of what they should eat and, but I missed that this is a flock creature, and she taught me that. She would hear birds outside, and you'd see her little eyes, her pupils opening and closing, and, and, you'd, and, and she'd get so fully alert. And she, like, she was listening to that language like it was a dialect she didn't mm. quite understand, but she really wanted to participate. And I would take her outside, and she'd climb up into the trees, and she'd call out to the other birds, and she couldn't understand why... You know, they didn't understand her language, and but she would definitely want to interact. And but she always came down from the trees to me. She was always devoted to me, and I, I really, I, I, I saw the depth of the ability to connect that these animals have, and that's because they are so social. They're, they're, they're they have, and this is how we learned about social neurons is actually from imprinting and, and um, how birds interact and connect 
and effect, really, if you look at it from Freudian terms, how they create an attachment to each other, and it's for life. The cockatoos that I was started to rescue mate for life. They their um, offspring stay within the flock for life, and they. Yes. And that's one of the things I know that you want people to know about, that uh, because they live so long, tell us, how, how long do cockatoos and parrots live? Well, cockatoos, depending on the subspecies, can live, you know, from 50 to, there was one in the San Diego Zoo that was 99 when he died. So they can live almost as long as we do. It's very similar. Most other parrots, you know, you're looking at a good 20 to 50 years. So part of my creation of a sanctuary was because people buy them maybe even as novelty pets or impulse buys in bird stores and then you have an animal that's going to live outlive you and possibly even your children yes yes and people don't realize that and then they kind of get abandoned and so on yes right well we need to take a break now my guest is dr lauren lindner she is the author of a brand new book called Birds of a Feather, A True Story of Hope and the Healing Power of Animals. And she was talking before about um, bringing her bird uh, outside. And um, it is true. I remember many a time that we were outside, and I was, I was like always so scared that the bird was going to fly away and never come back. But he always, she it always did, uh, came, you know, came right to Lauren's shoulder and... and uh, I mean, my birds used to come to, my parakeets used to come to my fingers and my shoulder and all that when I was a kid, but that was in an apartment. They didn't have far to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to take a break now. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Carol's Couch. Um... I, my, with my guest, Dr. Lauren Lindner, she wrote a brand new book that you have got to get called Birds of a Feather, A True Story of Hope and the Healing Power of Animals. And before the break, we were talking about her, uh, besides the birds that she had as a child, her bird as an adult, Sammy, who, by the way, is a girl, not a, <laughs> not a boy. She corrected me. She knew that it was a girl when it laid an egg. Um, but I want to give you a, a little more formal introduction of Lauren. I was so excited to get into her book and her story. So let me just tell you a little more formally about her. She is the clinical psychologist for Clinica Sierra Vista Behavioral Health. She um, initiated, as I was saying, she is the one 
the pioneer in using animals to treat trauma in veterans. And uh, she created the first program of its kind. She's the president of the board of the Association for Parrot Care and the Lockwood Animal Rescue Center, which has more than parrots. Um, they have wolf dogs, wolves, coyotes, foxes, horses, dogs, and, and parrots. Um, and I have been there as well. I, I've been in all aspects of your life, Lauren. <laughs> so I can attest to all of these things being incredibly true and incredibly, oh, man. Um, you know, it is not easy to be a mother of wolf dogs, wolves, coyotes, foxes, <laughs> horses, dogs, and parrots um, all in the same place. It's a lot of responsibility, and she does it with so much love, no less, to be then um, using some of these animals to help heal veterans. So take it from Sammy and, and the VA. Yes. Um, I, I, will, I will have to say that, it, you know, I've, I did this, and I appreciate all those lovely sentiments. I, I, I did do this, and I, I look back on that, and I realize how many people were such influences in my life, and I have to say that you, you were one of them, a really very important and meaningful influence in realizing that I can make my dreams come true, and that has to do more with horses, but um, that, that was equally as important to me. Um, and I can tell you a little bit about that as, as, time, as we progress here, but when I, when I rescued this parrot, this cockatoo, and, and I, I had her in my home, I, of course I thought she was a boy. I had no idea. Uh, uh, cockatoos are not sexually dimorphic, meaning they don't look different between male and mm. female. And the only way you can tell is if a light shines in their eyes and uh, a little red pigment can be seen in females versus males. So I was sitting one day and I I had the waning light of the day shining into her eyes and I I was like, oh my goodness, I think this is a girl. And within a day or two, she laid an egg. So that pretty much confirmed (laughs) that. And I realized from, from having Sammy that she needed to be with other birds. She needed to have a varied and quite elaborate diet because they, they have such a variety in the wild to eat from, you know, to choose from. And, and I, I needed to find out what she naturally ate. Oh, and from, she comes from Indonesia, the Moluccan Islands. And I, I, I did all that research, but it wasn't the same as actually providing for her the, the true essence of what she needed and what all birds need. And I call it the four Fs. Um, F is in Frank. And the, the four Fs include flight. And so rarely do we uh, provide our pet birds the ability to fly, but it's really essential to their well-being, their psychological well-being, just as it is for us to have the proper mobility that our bodies are able to do or, mm-hmm. or to, to, um, to create. So flight is one of them. The other thing is flocking. So pe- birds... Parrots in particular are flock creatures. They're social creatures. They relate very much on, on a one-on-one basis and, and as part of a flock. And they, um, they require that. And very rarely, too, do we provide that in captivity. We usually mm-hmm. we have one parrot of one kind and one parrot of another. Oh, I like a macaw. I like a cockatoo. And we mix them. But it's, it's not quite the same as having a flock mm. of, of conspecifics of the same type of bird. And... And the other thing is foraging. Parrots spend 30% of their time foraging for food. When you just sit a, a bowl into a parrot's cage or place it there for them to eat the same monotonous sea diet for you know 50 years, that is not um, enough to stimulate them. The food is there, of course, and you're providing that. The, the nutrients, but you're not providing the stimulation that's required by going out and finding the food and tasting different foods and dropping some foods on the on the forest floor, which is you know your white carpeting, <laughs> which is what's the case in my house, in my home, and my little condo where Sammy was living, and she was just you know you know throwing food all over the place, and I realized this is what feeds the forest floor. This is what grows other trees and allows other animals to eat. And it's such a part of a beautiful, intricate system of mm. beings. And then the other F is, um, well, let's say mating. <laughs> <laughs> parrots like to be with other parrots, and uh, sexuality is a major part of their 
interactions, and that takes up a part of their day. So when you have the lack of flight and the lack of foraging and the lack of mating, then you have a parrot that is lonely and becomes very much like anyone in, in, in solitary confinement. They become depressed and they might result to, resort to uh, self-mutilation of some sort. And that's what Sammy did. Sammy had pulled out almost all the feathers of her chest. And very often in the course of my rescuing parrots since Sammy, I've learned that parrots do that. They self-mutilate. They bang their heads against the cage bars. They pull off their feathers. They shred their feathers. They chew off their toenails. It's really quite pathetic. when you. I've seen thousands of birds now, and many, many of them um, have been traumatized in these very subtle ways that people don't even realize. But nobody would keep a dog mm-hmm. and cat in a cage. Mm-hmm. We don't, we, but we think it's okay for birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I mean, it's just extraordinary to me that even I didn't make that connection that, wait a second, why is this okay for this particular creature? Why is this okay, being, living a life out in a cage? in our own little private zoos. And mm-hmm. I, I started realizing that it was not okay and I needed to do something more for her, and that's when I started looking at creating a sanctuary. Okay, yes, take us there. But, and okay. this is when you were working at the, at the, LA, the West L.A. VA hospital. That's right. I had just become um, the clinical director of a homeless residential treatment program for veterans with dual diagnoses, which is, sounds complicated, but just means that they have two diagnoses, um, one usually being severe mental illness and the other being drug and alcohol um, addiction. And I... I, I started building this sanctuary out in Ojai, if anyone knows the Southern California area. It's about an hour and a half from Los Angeles, from the West LA VA where I was working. And every weekend I'd bring the veterans up to get away for the weekend, for the day, but also um, to help me you know, build in, enclosures and to help put up the perches and to cut up food for the week. And uh, I suddenly realized that these veterans who were so stoic in my group therapy sessions and sitting there with their arms crossed and monosyllable answers, we're suddenly cuddling these birds and cooing in their ears and and letting them nibble on them. And I thought, wait a second, something's going on here. I'm missing something. And I realized, of course, what everyone realizes with animal-assisted therapy, that the the animals get right in. It, It bypasses all the defenses and all the machinations of the mind, it goes right to the heart. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we just, I just looked at this and said, I have to bring these parrots to the VA. I have to create a sanctuary at the VA. Well, VA being a big organization, it only took six years. <laughs> um, but I knocked on all the right doors and then had to get all the right permits and had to make sure it, that the engineering and architectural designs were up to par for, for VA standards. And six years later, we opened up in uh, 2005 a sanctuary on the grounds of the West L.A. VA Hospital, which is the first of its kind. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of proud to say, I must say. Well, and you should be, and I have seen that, too. I finally got to see that, and um, it's, a, it's an incredible sanctuary. I mean, there are so many cages, and the, and the birds come down to you. You know, they, they were even inside these huge cages. These, these are huge cages, but not just one bird in a cage, um, but they still want to interact. I mean, they come, and, and they poke their beak through the holes in the wiring and so on, and... Um, and, and you had the veterans um, helping you with that too, building it and, and keeping it, you know, keeping, giving them, maintaining it, giving them food and water and all of that. Yes, it's a completely a veteran-centric program. It's on the grounds of the VA. It, it employs only veterans. It's part of a work therapy program, and the veterans do everything. They care for the birds. They build the enclosures. They learn all kinds of valuable job skills by doing that. They, they, we've had veterans hired out to do construction work after they've learned how to build these aviaries, mm-hmm. and they've, they've gone out to go become sous chefs 
at, at big restaurants in Brentwood, which is a neighboring uh, area right by the sanctuary, because they've learned how to prepare all this different food. I make them prepare all kinds of food for the bird, hot food, raw food, cooked food, all kinds of foods. And they, we create our foraging trays, and the aviaries, like you said, are, are huge, and they're, 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 they're fully available for flight. The birds can fly. They're you know, a good thousand feet in any direction. And, and, uh, and they're still social, but the difference is that they have a choice. And while many animal-assisted programs use dogs, you know, in particular, the, the difference with this program is that the animals are still part wild. I mean, they may have come from people's homes. Most of the birds are owner relinquishments. Some of them were birds that were confiscated or came from the wild. There are some wild flocks in Los Angeles and Long Beach and Pasadena especially. And some of these uh, birds have been brought to us because they came came to the attention of a veterinarian for one reason or another. And we took them into the sanctuary. And so they're, they, they have the choice. These All of these parrots have the choice to interact with the veterans or not. And that's, that's the difference because they're healing as well. They have suffered from trauma themselves just as the veterans have. So it's a choice that both veteran and parent make whether or not they want a relationship. Because the veterans could just go in there and change food bowls and scrub out the water troughs and, and they don't have to really interact, but they inevitably do. Because it's very hard to have a cockatoo come up and crawl up your pant leg and say, whoa, I love you, and not be touched by that. <laughs> now, to the, um, now, Dr. Lauren also, as I mentioned, um, has a sanctuary for wolf dogs and wolves and, and so on. And, and I know you talk about how with wolf dogs, they kind of choose their veteran. Do the parrots choose their veteran or do they choose several veterans? Very typically, the parrots just choose one veteran that they want to bond with, just like they do in the wild. They usually have one mate for life. It doesn't mean that they can't choose someone else if, if, if that veteran is no longer available or, or if, there's, if their mate you know, passed away. But they, they do grieve when, when they don't have that regular attention from that same person. And we have to be really careful about that to make sure that the veterans are committed to being there. We have to screen that, those people to see before they really are allowed, other than just basic bird husbandry, they are um, screened to see what their intentions are and about whether or not they want to stay, stay on. And typically, uh, most veterans do stay more than their rehabilitation time. The veterans at the... Parrot Sanctuary are largely those who are already living on campus, who are in treatment programs there at the VA. So they uh, usually get resolved within 6 to 12 months from either traumatic brain injuries or PTSD. Usually their groups run out at that point, and they are expected to go out and be on their own. And for those who have made deep connections with the animals, we, we hire them on. We hire them on as permanent employees. And uh, and that's part of what we try to do in terms of making this program work is hiring veterans who are committed to the well their own well being their own PTSD treatment and the well being of the parents and we we also end up bringing them up to the wolf sanctuary when they really have made um, a successful transition from the VA and they can live on their own and can. Um, have an apartment, and we help them with those skills, with learning how to live independently and reuniting with family members and, and staying clean and sober. That's all part of the treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the most... Are you getting, compared to um, past years, are you getting more birds than before? Or, I mean, I'm wondering if... Um, if, you know, when the economy was bad and it's still not really good, uh, it's still growing, but um, are there more parrots? Are there more people who can't afford to take care of the parrots and so they are looking for another home? I think when the economy really tanked was one of the worst, you know, darkest times for parrots and all exotic pets, I believe, because they are more expensive to care for and 
often you have to have more space in order to do that, and people were downsizing from homes into apartments, mm-hmm. and we had so many requests to, to take care of parrots at that time that we actually filled up, and we are still full. And we can build additional aviaries, but now the cost of uh, steel, uh, which is what we build the aviaries out of, um, is so expensive that we're, that's a little bit of a moratorium right now before, you know, we can r- raise more money to build additional aviaries because we cannot uh, afford that and we cannot take in more parrots until we build more, more space for them. So what do you do? Well, there are other sanctuaries in the country for parrots, um, but most of those are filling up, too, if they're not full already. And that's a problem. And I, I, no one knows how many parrots are, there are um, in, in people's homes. They say anywhere between 30 and 60 million. They're the huh. third most, most popular pet in the country. Really? After dogs and cats, yes. And they, there's, there's many, many, many of them. There's clearly not enough homes for them. Um, they, there's a revolving door uh, for parrots in, in, in getting good homes. Sometimes the, the family members will inherit them, but many, many times the children and grandchildren don't want the birds. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted to travel or they live in apartments, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of work. And mm-hmm. um, so it becomes problematic. And sometimes people release them into the neighborhoods, and mm-hmm. that's really like a death sentence for the parrots because the indigenous birds like crows and ravens are, aren't going to have that, <laughs> or, uh-huh. or you know, or hawks. So it's a really a, a, a kind of a tragedy that these birds were stolen from their native lands. You know, we no one no one would think of putting a robin or a blue jay or eagle in in, in a little cage, but we don't think twice about putting parrots and birds of other people's continents in, into little cages, and they're stolen from those lands, and then they come here, and really, it's, it's very few homes that I've found that can keep a parrot for its long lifetime. Okay, well, I need to stop you there, um, because we need to take another break, this is all super interesting. My guest is Dr. Lauren Lindner. Her, her book is called uh, Birds of a Feather, A True Story of Hope and the healing power of animals. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, and we will be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with my friend and a great guest with a new book, uh, Dr. Lauren Lindner, called Birds of a Feather, A True Story of Hope and the Healing Power of Animals. And we've been talking about parrots. Um, We've been talking about, again, I just want to emphasize how she is the pioneer in this whole animal vet, animal human um, healing, you know, it's like a new thing these days. Everybody thinks, um, oh, yeah, animals can help people heal, you know, uh, therapy dogs. We think of that. But Lauren was doing this before, before, way before therapy dogs or before therapy dogs were uh, popular or known. So um, this is an, an amazing story. This book is, is the story of her journey. She's kind of giving us some of the highlights now, but there, there are lots more details. Um, and uh, so when we, why don't we go back, t- take it from where we left off. Yeah. Which, so was, which was at the VA where, where, well, oh, hi, and then you realized you needed to bring it closer to home so that more veterans could participate and be healed and so on and take care of the parrots. And so that's when you were able to get the sanctuary. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, it is not easy to get the VA to do anything um, that they, that isn't, what that hasn't been done for fifty years, and, and uh, also and veter- veteran it has to be very much veteran centered, and mm-hmm. you can't just come on the veter- veterans' grounds and say, "Oh, I'm going to do some, run some nonprofit program here." <laughs> it has to be about veterans, right? And that's what we did. That's exactly what we did. So I'm I'm there, um, caring for the birds myself, hiring, interviewing veterans, and getting them trained on how to care for the birds, writing. Uh, parrot care manuals, and one day I'm standing there power washing the aviaries myself because part of what I've, I knew was important to the veterans is providing a flexible work schedule because they have to go to their PTSD groups and they have to go to their medical appointments for traumatic brain injuries and so forth. So I had a flexible schedule and I had both of my veterans out on medical appointments. So I'm power washing the aviaries wearing galoshes and, and, uh, and overalls. And this guy comes down the path and his psychiatrist had written him a prescription for parrot therapy. He said, uh, you're flunking out of your PTSD group, bud. You better go. Take, just go out and be in nature and see, what, see if this will work for you. So he comes down all kind of begrudgingly and I said, hey, you here to volunteer? And yeah, he nods and I put him to work and I'm power washing and he's helping me and what, two and a half years later, we got married at the Parrot Sanctuary, and uh, he's been an enormous help to me, and that's obviously my husband, Matthew. And we, um, from there, realized that we wanted to rescue other animals, and those other animals were always the second love of my life, which is horses. And I started looking around for property, and we found a place where we can also rescue horses. It had big barn and corrals. And we started looking at horse rescue and found about the wolf-dog problem. We went huh, into... I didn't remember that. It was, it was through um, originally looking to rescue horses that you came across the, the wolf-dog problem. Yes, yes. Hmm. Yeah, okay. we went to this woman's ranch. She had 400 rescued horses, race horses, huh. she, which she would rehabilitate. And I was picking out horses that I wanted to res- you know, take from her rescue. And we turn around, we see this animal I'd never seen before. I said, is that a wolf? I don't know. Can't, I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't quite tell. And she said, yeah, it's a new growing problem, wolf dogs, people breeding, breeding wolves to dogs and people buying them like they are some kind of... Um, you know, trophy pet, the newest trophy pet out there, and people thought it was cool to own a part wild animal. I thought, oh, that sounds familiar. That's like the parrots. Mm -hmm. And she said people relinquishing them like crazy because same thing, neighbors complaining, too much noise, howling at night, (laughs) biting, biting, and, you know, being aggressive, just like the parrots. And um, in this case, it's, you know, a little bit more dangerous. And uh, she said, it's a big problem, and you may want to think about starting to rescue these, and that's exactly what we ended up doing. Huh. So in addition to the parrots, we started rescuing the horses and, um, and these wolf dogs, and 
We have the sanctuary up here, the Lockwood Animal Rescue Center, up here in the Fraser Park area. And uh, it's just the same problem. It's people calling almost every day asking to take their wolf dog, just like they do with the parrots. And we're full there, too. It's just remarkable how popular these, these pets became. Huh. So what do you do about them? Well, uh, we recommend that they call the breeder and say, uh, you know, it's a little different with the wolf dogs because usually it's within two years when the animal becomes sexually mature that they, you know, realize that this is not a good pet. It's not a good idea to have a wolf in your house, even if it's mixed with a dog. And so, but now it's, it's, it's soon enough from the purchase date that you can call the, the uh, breeder and say, hey, this is not a good idea. And that's what we're encouraging people to do, to, uh. to discourage their breeders from breeding any more of these and selling them indiscriminately to unsuspecting owners who really don't know how to properly care for them. They can jump 10 feet. They can dig 6 feet under, under fences. They, you can't have this in your backyard. So do the breeders take the wolf dogs back, or what do they do? The breeders will take the wolf dogs back. The only problem is, you know, if I just worry about them continuing to breed indiscriminately, and it's the same problem, it's the same problem. So both for the parrots and for the wolf dogs, which is what's in my book and what is, I hope, the, uh, one of the major messages I, I impart is that we ask that people really reconsider buying these animals as pets. Certainly it's not as gifts for people who really maybe not are committed for the next 20 years to this animal, at least, um, and and to really think twice about having one of these animals in your homes. So that's what I'm trying to get the message out, so that it, it really helps the animal as well as the human, because a lot of these humans call me suffering. They love their animals, and they have to part with them. Uh-huh. So do you think, shouldn't there be a law, um, you know, preventing breeders from breeding wolf dogs? I absolutely agree that there should be such a law, and uh, I, that's something I would really like to um, encourage. I would like to help co-write. I would ha- like to help um, uh, promote. I would, I would write the legislation if, if there was a legislator who's willing to carry that bill. And there was a bill last year that passed, AB 485, that said you cannot buy dogs and cats in pet stores anymore. And I'd like the same to be done for parrots. I think now, parrots should have been included in that. I, you know, I, 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 I must admit, I mean, I heard about that, but I wasn't quite sure. I mean, that's an absolute, but there are still pet stores where you... Yeah, but you can adopt animals now. Now all the adoption agencies, Petco and PetSmart, they all have right. adoption agencies in their stores, and people can still get puppies. There's still plenty of animals. There's still a pet overpopulation problem, so there's plenty of animals that need homes. We don't need to breed anymore. Well, that's it. Yes, I, I just got cats from... Uh, um, I adopted... Latest is having adopted two beautiful white cats and uh, they're very sweet and um, uh, and come to think of it I mean we actually we met the woman who was the foster mother for the for the cats for the kittens Uh, they had found the cat their mother the cat while she was pregnant and then the foster mother took care of her and the cat had kittens and then she was trying to you know have the kittens be adopted out so we actually met her that was where she said to meet her in I think I don't remember pet smart pet co and um, but I didn't I, I actually didn't realize that they weren't selling their own um, because because you hear on the radio about all these different adoption days and I guess I just kind of imagined that they were selling um, non you know just the, the way they used to do um, cats and dogs as well but but there certainly are a lot of cats and dogs who do need to be adopted and uh, of course that's the whole thing where spaying and neutering comes in absolutely um, it's <laughs> But, you know, of course, there are still breeders of different um, kinds of dogs and cats who are allowed to breed them, right? Sure, and people can buy, you know, privately through them, but the pet stores are not selling. Because most of the pet stores, pops, were from puppy mills. 
And yes. the same thing exists for birds. There are birdie mills where birds are just kept constantly, you know, pumping out eggs, and the eggs are incubated and, and hatched by the humans. And um, it, it just it creates the same same situation. Very very dirty, very uh, um, you know unhygienic um, uh, situations, and and you know just just bottom line money. And so, I mean, of course, you're not saying, I'm not saying that people shouldn't um, have dogs and cats and, oh, no. and, 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 um, and birds and, you know, all of these pets, but um, it does... But to adopt ha- them. But what? But to adopt them. Yes, right, right. I mean, you know, it is true that sometimes if... Pa- if well, of course, you had this with the parrots, like some parrots, some birds, some, some I mean, some dogs, some cats... Um, who who get abandoned have been abused, and so some people are afraid to adopt because they think that their pet will have these bad habits or be traumatized, will have been traumatized by their previous owners. And in, in some cases that may be the case, but also... I, I find from the, I have seven dogs and they were they were all traumatized and I find that they almost have this just forgiveness they're just they're so willing to please and like you're going to be my last home right uh, I'm going to do everything right anything you want you want me here you want me to do good shit? <laughs> so, so I I find it just you know I mean sometimes when they're really severely traumatized they just become so timid. Uh, and and it, 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 it is very sad. And you, have to, you just have to work more with them. With them. Uh-huh. And just give them a lot of love. Well, yes. I want to make sure before we run out of time that um, we tell people where to buy the book. Again, the title of the book is Birds of a Feather. You have to get this book. It is really so, it, it's just, you know, it feels like you're, on, like you're on a bird's back in a sense. Um, you know, there's a very cute picture of a bird and a vet on the cover. And um, and with soft, the bird has you know the soft feathers, and it's all, reading the book. I know this is, may seem like a little far out, but reading the book is kind of like sitting on the wing of one of these birds and just being taken for a, a very soft, sweet ride. Oh, I so, love that! <laughs> yeah, you can use it. That's wonderful. <laughs> Birds of a feather: a, the, a true story of hope and the healing power of animals, which is, uh, it is sold wherever books are sold, you know, bookstores, brick-and-mortar bookstores, online, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and, and you can go to Dr. Lauren Lindner's website, which is birdsofafeatherbook.com, birdsofafeatherbook.com. Well, Lauren, I wish you tons of luck with this. You deserve a lot of success. Again, because you are, you need recognition as well um, of being the pioneer in this field. You know, we take these kinds of things for granted to some degree now. But it took Lauren's ingenuity and um, and hard work in her galoshes <laughs> to make this happen. <laughs> I so, can't tell you uh, how much I appreciate all those kind words. How lovely! Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you, Lauren, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 